0: Well, we can turn to his word. Hey, if you're joining us online, so glad that you are joining us as well. It's great to connect. We're seeing more and more in person every week as uh, we're we're coming out of this time. We're talking about Emerge. Are you guys ready to Emerge? It's Emerge. It feels like we're coming out better and stronger, and and we don't just wanna go back to the way it was before. We want God to do something new and to do something fresh in our lives but it certainly does feel like we're emerging, like we're coming out of something. I know we're still in the pandemic and we know that there's different parts of our country and even in the world that are recovering in different ways. But it's nice to start feeling like we're starting to see the end of the tunnel. I think over 40% of adults in America have at least had one shot already. Um, I'm, I'm a one-shot guy so far. I'm halfway there. Um, and uh, it's just being part of the, the solution for us, and, and I'm glad to be able to do that. But it, it does help, and it does feel like we're, we're making progress. I think life is starting to return to some sense of familiarity. We were out at the soccer fields yesterday, and I know some others as well here, and, and kids getting back into some sports. Uh, schools are back in in, in full swing for many places, others are still online, but we're starting to get a sense of that. But while things are starting to get better and we're starting to emerge, we also realize that this year has impacted us like no other before, probably in in our living history, at least in in my living history. I mean, think about how much 9-11 changed us in one day. If you're around at that time, one day, all of a sudden life just started looking very different because of that one day. And here we have an entire year, an entire year. I mean, what are the impacts gonna be? How are things gonna start looking different from when, when we go forward? What's life gonna be like? And so here's the thing we have the ability to help determine what that looks like, at least in our spheres of influence and in our life. We can determine what that looks like. But what's it gonna, what's it gonna mean? What's the impact gonna be of this, this whole year of social, social distancing? relationships that were strained, or, or just the loneliness and isolation. We know that the, uh, you know, the mental health crisis has, has been real, and many are, are struggling, whether it's through depression. We've seen addictions that, that have been on the rise. It seems like violence in our city is, has been a, a, at a peak this year from, from other years. How are we handling these changes? What are we doing with that? And so we want to talk about how do we emerge Because even, I don't know if you saw the statistic uh, this past week or so, the Gallup Poll, who does different surveys in the United States, they've, for years, have been surveying uh, church membership and participation, and they're saying for the first time in the 70-plus years that they have been tracing this, that uh, participation and membership has dropped below 50%. For years, it's been at 70%. for, For many, many years, even as recently as 1999... And pre-pandemic it was already down to 50 and now it's dropped down to 47%. Things are changing, things are looking different and some things are not going in a good direction that we want them to. So how can we make some changes? How can we turn and go in a different direction? Because I don't know about you, I mean there were some things beforehand that were great that were normal but I wanna see something different. I wanna emerge better and stronger and that's what we're gonna be talking about over these next several weeks. How can your marriage, how can your family, how can your job, your work, your career, your purpose I mean, how can those things look different coming out of it? We're gonna be looking at the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. We're gonna spend some time in the Old Testament over the next several weeks, and we're gonna look at an amazing rebuilding project. And it's gonna be a blueprint for us to walk through and see how can we do something different? How can our life take a different path? But I don't want this just to be an exercise in like, oh, that's a great Old Testament story. Oh, those are some good things to think about. I really want each and every one of us to have something in their mind that needs to be rebuilt, that needs to be restored, something where you're looking and hoping to emerge. And so today I hope to lay the framework for that for you and for all of us so that we can really take something tangible and walk through that over these next several weeks to see what God might wanna do in, in our lives. We're gonna be looking at how does a vision get birthed. We're gonna talk about what it takes to, to, to enact and to begin to engage that vision. We're gonna talk about what obstacles come in the way, how do we overcome challenges and hurdles, obstacles. We're gonna talk about what is God doing in us spiritually during, during this time of rebuilding, how do we live that out? So we're going to look at all of that in the book of Nehemiah. But today, we're going to begin at the beginning. We're going to begin with part one, and it's called Brokenness Births Vision. Brokenness Births Vision. Let's pray and just ask God to, to hone us in on this particular piece. Heavenly Father, as we uh, begin this new series together, as we talk about what it looks like to emerge out of this time, and, and as we look at our lives and examine our lives today, God, Would you reveal to each and every one of us in this room, each and every one of us listening online, God, what it is that we need to rebuild? What is it that we need to change, to emerge different from, stronger, better, closer to you, Lord? And may we bring that to you today. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Nehemiah may not be a book familiar to some of you, or maybe it's been a while since you've looked at it. It's one of those small books that can get lost in the Old Testament between all those other prophets and history books, and, and Nehemiah is actually part of a two-part sequel, Ezra Nehemiah, which in the old manuscripts or the old scrolls was one work, Ezra Nehemiah. And if you happen to be uh, joining us um, online every day on Facebook Live for our daily devotionals, we're actually going through Ezra and Nehemiah, which is a context for this whole series. But we're going to be picking up in Nehemiah, which is the the story that we're we're in. So Nehemiah was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, and he was the cupbearer in 444 B.C. So that kind of gives you a sense of the time frame. And he's in a city, Susa, which is now in modern-day Iran. Now, Nehemiah is a Jew, and so his family and his history come out of Judah and the city of Jerusalem. Those were his roots. But it has been 150 years— That his family has now been living in Babylon, which again is now modern day Iran, but Babylon, because they were conquered. The Babylonians came in under King Nebuchadnezzar, and they, you know, as it was in times of war and and the games of thrones back in the day, right? They're just overthrowing one nation after another. And and the Babylonians came in, and they conquered uh, Jerusalem. They came into the city, they tore down the walls, they burned down the gates, they ransacked the place. Then they came to the temple which is the heart of the city, especially, again, think about the Old Testament, the place where God's altar resides, his presence in the Ark of the Covenant. They tear down the temple, they ransack it, they steal all the things, and they take the the stuff back into, into Babylon. And not only do they take the things, they also take people. And so the people of God, they go into exile, some are left behind, many are taken, and now they have to adapt to a new culture and a new place, But it isn't long that after they've been taken into exile that the Babylonians get conquered by the Persians. And when the Persians come in and conquer them, they have a little looser um, government policy on letting the exiles return. And so King Sirius at the time, he allows uh, some people to come back. And they do and they go back. And the first thing that they rebuild is the temple, which makes sense. If you're the people of God, if you're the Jews, you're saying, that's our presence. That's the heart of our community. They rebuild the temple, but this temple isn't rebuilt as magnificently as Solomon's original temple. But nonetheless, they have a temple. Then over the years, another wave of people come, and they begin to settle back. And now we fast forward to the time of Nehemiah, 444 B.C. It's been now 150 years since since Jerusalem was torn down and conquered, and it's been 100 years since the people have started resettling back there. And so, like I said, Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king. That's uh, more than just being a bartender. The Nehemiah, I mean, he has to have this high trust level, this loyalty because he's testing, again, the drink before the king does, and you don't just let anyone do that. You have to earn that place. You're in the king's court. You're in that presence. The things you hear are the things you observe. And so Nehemiah, as a Jew, in, and like many of his fellow Jews, did well in, in exile. They, were, they lived among the people. It's been many years they settled in that place and, and had positions of, of uh, leadership as well. And so here's Nehemiah, he's living a good life, he's in a great position, and his brothers come back to him from their fall break, having visited the homeland. And so here's where we pick up in Nehemiah chapter 1, so let's read the introduction here. Nehemiah 1, there are, these are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakali, son of Hakali, there was a period there, son of Hakali. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah, which is the region where Jerusalem is found. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. So, right, he's thinking about this. He's maybe never been there before, Nehemiah. His brothers are coming back. Tell me about it. We've heard the stories of old. And what's it like there? And things are different when you get a firsthand experience, or when somebody tells you something about, you know, like a a, a friend or family member tells you how things are going. It was uh, the week before uh, uh, week before Easter. Our family went back to Phoenix for the first time in four years together as a family since we've moved here. And so the girls and Shannon and everybody, we were excited just to see some of the places where we lived and where we, you know, would go eat and the schools they went to and the churches and things of that nature. And it's just something about coming back home and you're seeing what's changed and what's different and what's new. And, and so that was a kind of a cool experience. Well, this is what took place here. He, they're hearing what's going on, what happened. So what's the report? They said to me, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. This is the context for Nehemiah. This is the context for the story. Nehemiah hears what happens and he goes, What do you mean? The walls are torn down? The city's been destroyed? How long has this been going on? Again, this firsthand experience, this firsthand account from his brother, it begins to hit him in a different way. I remember, you know, for for years in, in school and in the news, we would hear about how Haiti is the poorest nation in the Western hemisphere. And the trouble and the struggle and the challenges there. Well, in 1999, Shannon and I, we were youth pastors, and we led a mission trip to Haiti with our student ministry. And it's amazing how it's so different when you hear something on the news, whether you see it firsthand and in person. And when you stare into the eyes of a a malnourished child, those big, bright eyes, and and you're well-fed, and you've got everything with you, and they're coming up to you, and they're rubbing their belly and saying, I'm hungry I'm hungry, like, can I have some of your peanut butter and jelly sandwich? It changes your perspective. When you hear about the poverty and the, and the malnutrition, and then you're driving down their main road that, that runs along the coast, and, and in that same road, there's a drainage ditch, and in that ditch, you see cattle, and you see animals, you see people doing laundry, they're cooking, they're bathing in that, and you're going, I understand now why there's problems. I understand why there's difficulty. When you see something firsthand, it begins to affect you differently. And and in Nehemiah's case, he heard it from his brothers now. And something in that moment gripped him very differently. I mean, for Nehemiah, these were his relatives, this was his ancestry, This this was the magnificent history that they shared the kings, King David and King Solomon. This was the temple in its splendor where God's presence resided, where they worshiped, where the festivals came together. I mean, he had heard all these amazing stories, and and now he's hearing how it is laying in ruins. What do you mean? See, the wall, we don't understand the significance of the wall around a city, but especially in in ancient times. If your city didn't have a wall, you you were as good as dead. There was nothing protecting you from the other invaders. And the wall not only protected your city, it protected your culture. And in the case of the Jewish nation, their worship and their temple, it was part of their identity in that way. And so it was just so discouraging for him to hear this. And I imagine him asking, you know, how could people live there for a century and not do anything about it? The wall was a symbol. Remember two years ago, almost to the, the week, I think it was April 19th, two years ago, uh, Notre Dame was, uh, was burning. And as you saw those images, and if you've ever been there, I've had a chance to see it and see the beauty of it. It's an amazing place. But for many, uh, they would gather around in the city, and there were tears. People were crying. People were weeping. This was their beloved landmark. Now, we know it's a cathedral, it's a place where God is to be worshipped, but in, in France and in Paris, it represents so much more in that sense for them. If they don't have faith, it's about the this, this symbol, Notre Dame, and it's burning. And um, this report, too, if you happen to see it on PBS, a story about the rebuilding of it is pretty fascinating. But as that was burning and as that was happening, the president of France went on air and he said, we will rebuild Notre Dame in five years. Now, they're saying it might take even more than that committed millions of dollars to thinking it may cost upwards of $600 million. Why? Why not just let it burn down? Why not just tear it down put something else there? Because it represents something. It's a part of the history. It's a part of their story. And so they are gonna rebuild it and they're gonna renew it. But think back to the people now in Jerusalem. They're there. They've been back for 100 years. They've rebuilt the temple. But now they have left the walls and left everything torn down. And I wonder if this is true for us. Sometimes we've lived in our rubble so long we are numb to it. Sometimes we've lived in our rubble so long we are numb to it. It just doesn't bother us anymore. We don't see it anymore. you guys know what it means to be nose blind? Have you ever heard about being nose blind? You know, somebody you know, walks into your house, hopefully they're not this rude, but they come in and they go, man, your house smells like wet dog and... Soccer socks and some nasty rose air freshener. I mean, what, what's going on? And you're going, I don't smell anything, right? You've gone nose blind. You don't smell it anymore. You don't recognize. You've gotten comfortable with the smell of wet dogs and soccer. I don't know how you can ever get used to soccer socks smelling after, after games. Trust me, it's one of the worst. But, you know, we get comfortable with it. Or in, sometimes um, we've done in churches I've led and even in our home, things like that, you do an ugly check. Ever hear of an ugly check? What you need to do is you need to do an ugly check, and that means walk through your house or walk through your place of business or walk through your church like you were the first time there. And try to see with fresh eyes. I remember when I came here the first time when I was interviewing, I'd never been to Meadow Park before. It's amazing the things that I'd noticed that right now don't even bother anymore. You know, if there's a stain somewhere, if there's a hole, a stain somewhere, there may be one here and there, you know. Yeah, we got some work to do, people. We've been getting too comfortable in our rubble sometimes, right? You know, oh, it's just the pews. They've been around forever. Who cares that they're loose and, and rocking around? You know, we're fine, we're fine. But what do you see, right? Or if you've ever moved from a you know, place and you had your moving boxes and you just stuck it, one in the living room that you're gonna get to, and three years later it's still there, you don't see it anymore, but somebody comes to your house and goes, oh, are you moving? No, you know, again, we don't see what's around us. It's been there so long, How did they spend 100 years and not do anything with it? Some of us have been living in our rubble so long, we've made friends with it, we don't even see it anymore. Some of your marriages are so stale and boring and dead, and you just accept it as, I guess that's just what it is, and you live in it. Some of us have struggled with health or you know, with our weight and it's been so long that we just go, that's just what it is and we don't even see our toes. We don't even know what they look like anymore. Some of us have been estranged from a family member so long that it's just the way it is. The family, we just, we, just, we just have broken relationships in our families. That's just the way it is. Some of you have been broke so long you don't even know what it means to have a couple extra bucks to do something special and you just go, that's just the way life is and you just deal with it and you continue to live in the rubble. Some of you have been addicted so long I guess I just have to go through my life addicted and I just will never get over this. Some of us have been depressed so long that we can't even imagine waking up one day full of hope, full of life, full of joy, that there can be something better, that we have some optimism for the future. Some of, some of you, some of us, have been so miserable in our job that we just think this is what it is. We just gotta get through. If I can just get through to retirement and just be done working. Or maybe I just have to stay in this situation forever. No, what rubble, what situation in your life have you been just making friends with? Spiritually, I guess I'll never be on fire. I'll never be like somebody who could just worship freely or to really experience God. I guess that's just reserved for some people to have that kind of relationship with God. And the years passed and the time passed. What have you accepted? What's the rubble? What's in your life that you're saying, you know what, I've kind of just gotten too comfortable in it? What's going to shake you? What's going to wake you up? What's what's it going to take? Maybe somebody coming alongside and saying, hey, you need to change something. It's time to do something, but you've been blowing it off. But maybe even this pandemic, maybe just this whole season where life has been flipped around and things have changed is enough for you to say, I want something to be and look different in my life coming out of this season. What's it going to be? We can either just let it roll and we just end up just going with the flow and wherever it takes us and we'll just end up wherever we end up, or we're gonna be somewhere intentionally. And we're gonna say, God, here's a chance to do something different, to rebuild something different. So when we look at it, and we look at the story, and we come back to Nehemiah, he, he sees, and he, hear, he doesn't see, he hears about the broken down walls. And something moves in him. Look at verse four, it says, "'When I heard this, I sat down and wept. "'In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, "'and prayed to the God of heaven.'" Nehemiah is broken. It doesn't just say, you know, he kind of shed a tear. He wept, he sobbed, he felt sorrow, he mourned. It was like a loss for him. It was like just grieving over this. And you go, how could he he do this? I mean, it's not even, he, he hasn't even seen it. He's just hearing it from somebody else. But have you ever been so broken that you've wept? What have you mourned over in your life? I have. It sucks. It stinks. It hurts. It doesn't feel good. It's something you just don't want to be in. You want to get out of it. You know, when when you think about your life and the future isn't like you've imagined, or some dreams have been broken, or you've just been severely disappointed in something, or it's just not going the way that you, you thought, or you're just aware of your own shortcomings, and there's just loss. What do you do? I think some of us have never really grieved our losses. We've never just allowed ourselves permission to just say, it's okay. And in this moment, uh, Nehemiah just overcome and he weeps and he mourns over what he's heard. But again, it's not just in his own life here. And let me ask you even a different question besides what we weep for in our own life. Have you ever been broken enough to weep over someone else's struggle or some problem in the world around you? That's a different level of weeping, isn't it? To be so taken in by something that you've seen. Now you might go, okay, Nehemiah's a weak guy or maybe Nehemiah's a sentimental guy or he's, just, he's all just soft. What you'll see as we go through the series, Nehemiah is as tough as nails. He's as strong a leader as they come. And what he faces and what he does, we'll see over these next several weeks, is remarkable. But this breaks him, this moves him. When you think about it, your brokenness is the crucible that can birth a fresh vision. I kind of want to park there for a minute. I want you to just take that in. Your brokenness is the crucible that can birth a fresh vision. We don't like our brokenness, but God can use it. God can do something there. So let me just ask you, what makes you weep? In your own life or in the life of others, what makes you weep? I don't weep. (laughs) Weeping's for wimps. (laughs) All right, what puts a lump in your throat? Have you ever seen one of those SPCA commercials with uh, those sad puppy dogs in cages and Sarah McLaughlin singing in the arms of an angel? Come on, if that doesn't put a lump in your throat or you change the channel, something's wrong with you, okay? (laughs) But seriously, (laughs) what makes you angry? What brings that deeper emotion? If it's not weeping, what is it that just fuels that inside you? What just makes you sad? What makes you say somebody should do something about that? Ever find yourself saying that? Somebody should do something about that. My favorite line to hear is a pastor. (laughs) Because you know what the answer is, right? Congratulations, what did you just volunteer for? (laughs) Somebody. We always have ideas of what somebody should do. Somebody should do something about school funding or education inequality. Somebody should do something about about healthcare. Somebody should do something about immigration or, or those people or these things that are going on around us. Somebody should do something about illiteracy. Somebody should do something about teen pregnancy. Somebody should do something. Somebody should help those moms, those single moms. Somebody should help with divorce care. Oh, people grieving or lonely. Somebody should do something. What is it that somebody should do? What is it that you've been feeling? Those things that cause a strong reaction in you emotionally are indicators that God might be stirring something inside of you. When you feel strongly about something, when you feel that, 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 that gut level type of thing, that's a sign that God might be saying, hmm, I wonder if that's someone might be you. What did Nehemiah do with these deep emotions? He's feeling this. He's weeping. He's grieving. He's broken over. What did he do? He prayed. He prepared. And he waited. What can we do? We can pray. We can prepare. And we can wait. Let's take a look at what he prayed first. So going back again to verse four, when I heard this, he says, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. For days, right? Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly, but not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you have given us through your servant Moses. What Nehemiah is doing in this moment, he's saying, look, I recognize that, that, that I'm connected to this problem. I have, I have a part in this, and he's, inter- he's being introspective and in saying, I've sinned, and God, I want to confess to you right now, I'm just so broken, but I want to know what's my part in this, and how can I do something about it? He brings himself before God in a real humble way. He continues, please remember, What you told your servant Moses. Now he's remembering the promise. What did God say? He said, If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. He's remembering. He's remembering the promise of God. What is the promise of God in your life? What are some of those promises? Promises that I'm going to protect you, that I'm going to keep you, that I'm going to give you a hope and a future. That God is working things out for good in our life. And we're going, God, what is the promise that you have for my marriage, for my purpose, for my joy in life? God, what is that promise? He claims that promise. And then he ends by saying, The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. So he begins by acknowledging who God is and his own own sinfulness. Then he holds on to the promises, but then in the end he's saying, God, whatever it is, whatever is in this situation, I don't know what I'm feeling, I don't know what I'm supposed to do about it, but God, just grant me favor. I need your blessing, I need your hope, I need your promise. He turns to God and says, God, I need you in this rebuilding process, whatever that's gonna look like. I need you to be a part of it. And so he begins by praying. So many times when we're broken or we're hurt or we're frustrated or are angry, where do we go? Social media, of course. Tell everyone what you're frustrated about. Tell everyone what somebody else should do. Tell everyone what's wrong with the world because that's gonna solve the problem. Get mad, get angry, or, or just, just make a, make a real you know, off-the-cuff kind of plan and, and try to solve it, and in three days it fizzles out because you've lost all energy and, and motivation behind it, and now you're on to something else. Nehemiah sat in this pain. He sat in that brokenness, and he prayed for days and, and, and nights and just kept bringing it to, to God. God, what would you have me do? He prayed. He prepared. You're going, how did he prepare? Well, it says that he fasted. And I'm gonna just expand that to say fasting is a way in which he was preparing because we're gonna see next week what his plan was and what God was beginning to birth. And you know how he did that? Through fasting. I don't know if you've ever fasted, but you take some time and you say, I'm gonna go without food for a period of time, maybe consecutively. The most I've ever done was 36 hours. It was a 36 hour, we did that with our student ministry. It was a 36 hour hour, um, fasting. That was hard to do with our teenagers, but we raised some money and, but and, and for good causes. And, and, and But it's this time where it's amazing when you allow that hunger, and every time you feel that hunger, you say, God, um, I hunger for you. God, I, I, I need you to speak into my life. I need you to answer. I need you to, to move. And you just listen, and you ask God to move. And sometimes fasting can be some other things over a period of time, not all at once, but but this is a time in which Nehemiah is preparing. God, what would you have me do? And we're going to hear next week what God calls him to do. And then third, he waited. We read that he ended up waiting four months in the next chapter. Four months, it's a pretty long time. We may have to wait like, you know, like Moses and, and, and others, 40 years, who knows? But for four months, he kept praying and waiting. And remember, he asked for God to give an opportunity and for favor, but he was patient. And the vision slowly began to emerge during this time. And I think what began to emerge in him is what's broken needs to be rebuilt. And it's out of that brokenness that God began to birth a new vision in Nehemiah's life and for his people. So let me ask you, what part in your life needs to be rebuilt? What are some ruins, some, some broken down things, some rubble that you have just gotten comfortable with, that you've made friends with, that you're kind of like, I guess that's just the way it is? Maybe God's beginning to say in you, no, 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 no. Don't settle for that. God wants to do something different, wants to do something new. I know when walls are being torn down or when there's rubble in our lives, we don't like it. Nobody likes that. None of us want things broken down. But here's the thing. How many times in your life have your disappointments, the hurt and the pain led you into something else? God used that to build something new, something different, maybe something better, something stronger that can come out of that. And so today we just lean into that and say, okay, God, what are you gonna do? And I want you to hear this today, too. With God, it's never too late to start rebuilding. With God, it's never too late to start rebuilding. You might think your your marriage is past that point. You might think your career is past that point. You might think your faith is never going to get there. You might think a relationship is never going to be there. Health-wise, it's never going to get there. With God, it's never too late to start the rebuilding process. So why not now? And like I said earlier, let this not just be an exercise in some some Old Testament teaching and some good principles, but can you really in your mind hold on to something over these next several weeks and say, this needs to be dealt with in my life, and I'm going to apply these principles and really see. And so today, I'm going to begin. I'm going to begin by just just, just weeping over what's there. I'm going to be broken. I'm going to let my emotions come before God, and I'm just going to sit with it. I'm going to bring it before God and not have all the answers, not have the plan, but just begin by sitting with it and allowing God to speak into that. God wants to start rebuilding in our lives. Listen here. Instead of debilitating us, our grief, loss, and pain can become our motivation for a better future. So what's God placed in your heart? What makes you mad? What makes you angry? What puts a lump in your throat? What puts that knot in your stomach? What is it that you've been blind to that, that, that God needs to begin to speak into and begin to try to to bring back to life. That's what Emerge is all about, letting your brokenness birth a new vision. So as bad as the brokenness is, that's the hope. And that's what God started doing in Nehemiah. I remember back in, 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 in our life when we were in student ministry for a lot of years, Shannon and I, and uh, just had just wonderful experiences with that and reaching new students. And we had just tons of baptisms and kids coming to know Christ and got to do ministry in a fun and a cool way. Um, and yet we were, we were growing, and increasingly the, the unsettledness in, in our heart was why, God, is it not happening in the adult church around us? Why is all the life coming through the student ministry? Why is it not happening? What's wrong with the adults? Why are they asleep? Why is there no life in, in that body? And, we, and God began to stir in us and, and say, how can the church look different? We've got a generation that needs to be reached. We've got, we've got people that need to come to know Christ. And it began to stir and it grew, but it took a long time. We prayed about it. We thought about it. We, God, where, how would you have us respond to that? And it's something that grew over many, many years to the point where at least for us at that time, it led to saying, go and start a church. God birthed the vision and the brokenness and the frustration and the pain where somebody should do something about it. Well, the finger was pointing back at us. We should do something about it. And and, and again, it didn't just happen easily. It didn't happen just like, hey, let's just do this. It took a lot, but God began to just stir in that to the point where we had to leave what was familiar, what was home to us, what was family and comfort and start something new, a church for people who don't like church. And to really say, what is it around us in our lives and our families that is broken? And let's ask us as a church, what is the rubble or what are the things that are broken that we've just gotten so used to and just say, I guess that's just the way it is, and we've gone nose blind to it or whatever you wanna call it. And is it a time to say, God, take something and build something new, build something fresh, stir our hearts, wake us up? Just because we have our faith and we've been comfortable in it for years and and we're good, we're good, it's fine. I don't know any, when is it gonna stir in us to say, let's do something about that. Let me reach out to my neighbor, let me talk, let me invite, let me fill this place. I wanna have somebody with me who hears the good news. That's why I get so pumped up on Easter because we have a house full of people that sometimes only go to church one time a year. And that's why I didn't preach to a lot of you guys last week. I preached to those who don't know Christ, although I wanted to remind all of us about what God is doing. And that's what I wanna do every single week. And I do it and we do it because we wanna see people come to know Christ and we wanna rebuild and we wanna take what God has in our lives and he takes all of our brokenness. Each of us has something that's been broken and any one of us who have come to know Christ have come through our brokenness. At some point realizing our sin has kept us from God, something in our life isn't going to go and, and, and isn't finding the wholeness. And so we all have those experiences and there's a world around us that needs to hear and needs to know what difference Christ can make in our lives. And so God takes the brokenness just as he rebuilds our life, he rebuilds his kingdom. And he takes the church through, through years. So we're 50 we're, we're some years old, but the church has been around for 2,000 years, continually reinventing itself, continually reaching out, continuing to carry the gospel. And you know what's happening under our watch? Church is declining People are leaving the church under our watch. That's our statistic, Meadow Park. We are a part of that. I'm responsible as a pastor in saying, under our watch, if I retire in how many, next year? No, how many years I got? I got some years left. And I hear that during this time, the whole time that I've been a pastor, church attendance and participation and salvations have been declining. That's on me, and that's on us. And if you wanna know why I'm passionate and care about that, is I want us to wake up. We cannot be a sleeping church and say we're good, and we're okay with it. We're fine. We've gotta wake up and allow God to take what is broken or take what is what is our passion. It doesn't mean it's broken. It just means what's God stirring in us to do something fresh and do something different. And yes, by the way, at some point, we're gonna raise a lot of money to replace the carpet and the chairs and refresh up that kind of stuff. That should just be like nothing. Like just write a check, give us $100,000, $200,000. Let's get this done. Let's rebuild the stupid stuff and don't make us do a big campaign and all that stuff. This is not in my notes. I'm just speaking off the cuff because some of the stuff we just gotta do and take care of instead of begging and pleading, oh please, just, let's do it. Let's do it, let's go after it, and let's get into this so that we can be a part of some life-giving, not just for us, and that's gonna bring new life to each and every one of us. Brokenness births a fresh vision. What are you broken for? And no matter what it is in your life or the world around us, a burden that God has given to each and every one of us as a follower of Christ is to care about the lost. And if we're not broken over that, if we don't care about that, then we need to spend some more time in prayer and in fasting and asking God for that burden. And maybe that's where we start today for some of us because God is doing new things and we celebrated awesome baptisms last week. Isn't that exciting? I mean, it's happening. We're seeing lives change. That's what we wanna see. That's what we love to celebrate what God is doing. And, and, and I just want more of that. And I want us to be a part of that together and experiencing that journey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in this place. I Thank you for the baptisms last week and, and Bev's testimony of just rededication and passion. And, and God, we can all tell our stories of what you're doing in our life. God, that you're building something new. Each of us have gone through difficult times and, and you've birthed something fresh. God, would you do it again? God, would you continue to stir in us? Would you continue to, to do something fresh? in our own lives. God, some are just dealing with some really heavy brokenness right now, God. Maybe their whole life feels like it's in ruins or maybe, God, is just one part. But God, would you breathe a vision into that? Would you speak some hope into that? And maybe, God, would you just give the comfort today of comforting someone who is grieving and weeping over pain or loss? And Father, any today that don't know you, that don't have a relationship with you, that don't know what it's like to have joy, to have hope, to, to have the promise of eternal life, to have sins forgiven and to feel the the, the freedom and the cleaning of God of shame and guilt, Lord, we just uh, know that there's an opportunity today to begin life with you. God, that's our mission, our hope as a church. God, would you use Meadow Park Church to make a huge difference in this city in this world, in the years to come. Give us, God, the passion to reach out and to be a part of birthing a new vision in you, God, through you and other people's lives. We commit ourselves to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.